Hey, welcome to our podcast. I'm Tom Blackwood, Executive Pastor at Calvary Church. We hope you'll find something every week that inspires and encourages you in your faith. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen so that you'll never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Well, it's a great day and a good week. I'm so excited for next week, obviously Easter, but this week is uh, just equally as awesome because we get to risen, hey, the risen king. He's, he's, He's already risen from the grave, right? We've spent time this morning worshiping him. I'm so excited to be in the house doing that with you. And for those of you families that allowed us to um, have a part in that moment, um, thank you. Uh, We don't, um, whoo, it's heavy. Leaned over to Kim and I said, wow, it's just amazing to think that these moms and dads have decided that, that we, this family, we, we want to partner together with, with us, that, that they've said to us, um, to help make sure that there is an environment appropriate uh, to, to one day where those sons and daughters would, would follow Jesus. That's a big deal, church. That's less than a kind of a ritual or a thing that we do. It's a posture of our heart. And even diving into the message for today, um, that we're going to deal with some issues that, quite honestly, these young men and women that were here on the stage today will probably have to wrestle and fight through some of these issues even at a greater level than we do. And so it's important for us to know God's word, to stand on his truth, and to love people in the, in the tension that that sometimes um, provides for us. So I'm so glad to be a part of a church family that understands that. We've been in a series for several weeks and months now through the book of Acts. If you're joining with us for the first time uh, or the first time in a long time, yep, we're still there. And uh, we, in the next couple months, we'll be wrapping up that um, by the end of the summer, probably in the middle of the summer. And then we've got some other things in store for you. But um, today we're still in this book of Acts. And today, I want to start in Acts chapter 16, verse 35. You can go ahead and find your place into that. But if I were to title our talk today about what God wants us to do, it would be this phrase, and that is that the unknown becomes known. The unknown becomes known, and we'll unpack that a little bit here in just a minute. But uh, let me just put this this, uh, premise out in front of you today. Are you like me and that you just really enjoy spy movies? Does anybody like just a good spy movie or a novel or whatever? Man, I love reading. I have this kind of cycle in what I read, like biography and then a spiritual growth and then leadership and then, then fiction. And when it's fiction, man, I'm, I'm loving a good Tom Clancy or, you know, just something to like whatever, just this covert operations and all this stuff. Movies, I love Mission Impossible. Like I, I, you can, if, as soon as I say that phrase, you've got the, the song in your mind right now. You're welcome. It'll be stuck there the rest of the day, right? Um, the Jason Bourne movies, I love it. They're just like, how did these, these men and, and women in these spy environments, they, they, pos- they, they present themselves as somebody that they're not to accomplish a purpose, to go into a, a, a communist country or a, a infiltrate a drug cartel and, 
and be something that they're not so that they can get the job done. And I, I love it. It's good entertainment. Sometimes it's just one of those that you, just, you need those moments just to unplug and not have to think. Well, those types of movies, you know, the good guy's always going to win. It doesn't matter how crazy the situation may find himself in. Trust me, Tom Cruise ain't going to die, right? So it's just one of those things, that kind of deal. And uh, some of you are like mixed emotions. So, but it's just one of those things. I love it. I love the adventure of it. I love spy movies. Here's the problem with that is sometimes we can attach those same um, kind of under, uh, underpinnings in our own lives when we begin to live this faith life out as kind of a spy. As if we can just keep this part of my life unknown, then I'll be all right. Some students in the room may feel this even more so or in a job or whatever. Say, I just got to keep this on the down low because if I don't, I'm going to encounter some ridicule and some tension. And the truth of it is, is that this life of faith, when we talk about experiencing God following Jesus and serving others, it is not done in secret. There is nothing in scripture that would ever say, hey, live a life following Jesus, but don't let anybody know about it. It doesn't work that way. And when we try to do that, things get really messy. And so in God's word today, we see this idea of the story we're going to read about the unknown becoming known. It starts in Acts chapter 16. If you'll go there with me, um, let me set it up before we go into this. If you remember a few weeks ago, Paul and Silas, they're in this missionary journey. They're out preaching the word and the, the religious leaders are against them. They throw them into jail. They're in jail one night around midnight. They begin to sing songs and the Holy Spirit comes into that jail cell. Their chains fall off and everybody else's chains fall off. And they, it's a miraculous event that they're being led by the Spirit sets them free. And so we pick up this story now after they have already been set free. They've already connected with the jailer and his family and all of them have come to know Jesus. It's awesome. You would have thought that was the end of this story, but it wasn't. And so in Acts chapter 16, verse 35, it says this. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go, right? Get them out of my hair. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. And then here, I love Paul. He's just one of those rebellious, like whatever. And he's, he just kind of gets riled up. But Paul replies, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And here's the catch. And we're Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly. Dun, 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 You know, whatever. Now you're going to pull the mission. No, 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 no. Paul said, oh, wait a second. You missed a very key point of this story. You missed my identity. You missed the fact that I'm a Roman citizen and you treated me in such a way that ignored who I am. You're not getting off that easy. And he says, certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. He's bold, right? There's a boldness and a confidence within him. In verse 38, it says, when the police reported this, the city officials who had been saying, get them out of here, go, whatever, they're alarmed. 
to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Why was this such a big deal? Because there were privileges and rights afforded to that citizenship that they had treated them out from under the the realm of what would have been appropriate. And Paul pulls from or draws from his identity here and says, no, 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 no. You're not getting off this easy. This is an issue because you have overlooked my identity. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Can you see that scene? They have just beat them. They've thrown them in jail. They sing at midnight, chains fall off. Get out of here, go. No, Paul says, you're not getting it that easy. They came and apologized to Paul for ignoring his identity. And then they brought him out and begged them to leave the city. Yeah, you think? Get out of here. You caused us enough trouble. In this story, there's a significant piece that is, it provides the foundation for where we're going to go today. And that is the idea that your identity has rights and privileges attached to it that when you don't fully understand it, you can find yourself in a lot of prisons. You can find yourself in a lot of situations that God has, has better for. You can find yourself in your own mental prison of unforgiveness and guilt and shame when you are not sure of your identity. Some of you have uh, diplomas from different uh, universities on your wall in your offices or at home, whatever. And I love the, the verbiage of those. They're so formal. And it, basically it says that if you have this diploma from the greatest higher education school on the planet, Texas A&M University on your wall, uh, yeah, I figured, uh, that you have all the rights and privileges thereof attached to it. And, and there is this sense that when we get to that point of our spiritual lives, it's almost as if we need to have that same understanding that when you are born again, when you uh, make a decision to follow Jesus, you have the rights and privileges that are attached there too. And to get the real fancy you know, English in that, that verbiage there, so many times we live under our identity and under who we are that we find ourselves trapped in this. Paul gives us an example of this whenever he is confident in that. Then the reason that's significant is because later on we see in Paul's life, as he begins to flow continually into this ministry, as we've said for many weeks now, that the story continues in us. The same things that we see Paul doing are the same things that God wants you and I to do. There's no difference. There's no There's no end on the book of Acts. If you read the last verse there, it says that that these things continued unhindered and and open and with boldness. And so you and I still have that same uh, mentality. So this idea of Paul's identity was the foundation for this next part of the story. And in Acts chapter 17, it says... He's now in Athens. He's traveled to different places. He's in Athens. And Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. And it said, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, that's an interesting statement there, right? This God, whom you worship without knowing, that's the one I'm trying to tell you about. And then he tells him about who that God is. He says, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. 
Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. I want you to latch onto that verse and remember this because when we talk about our confidence in who we are giving us the ability to share who God is, it goes back to the very beginning of who indeed he has created us to be, who we really are. Paul does this here when he says, he's the one who gives life and breath. Verse 26, for one man... From one man, he created all the nations. Throughout the whole earth, he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he's not far away from any one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and exist And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The reason I wanted to go this far into this verse 28 is because in this idea of confidence in who he was, leading to him being able to proclaim who God was, there was this conclusion that he came to that everything about our lives is wrapped up and should be wrapped up in who God has called us to be and how he has given us the tools to be and live a victorious life. Next week, we're going to start a series that launches from this verse, that this idea about life and how we can win in that. And we are intentionally starting it on Easter Sunday because I just believe that there are men and women, just like some of you that are in this room, that maybe have a head knowledge of the story of Jesus. We may understand what that historical story is about, and yet we have failed to make the personal, daily, current, right now application of, so what? What does that mean to me? And so we're going to dive really deep into that starting next week. I hope that you'll, you'll uh, join us for that journey as we do that as well, talking about life. But today, this idea of the unknown becoming known. How is this significant? Well, in order for us to see what God wants us to hear today, um, there's two uh, key thoughts that I would like for us to really identify here today. Key thought number one, when our identity in Christ is known, changes everything. It changes everything. It allows you to walk into a room and say, you know what, I may feel intimidated in this space. I may feel like this person doesn't agree with me or this person has a different view or whatever, but I know who I am. I know that I am a child of the risen king and I may not have all the answers, but I have a faith that understands that God loves me and God's word is true. And God's word says that even when I find myself in situations that I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will give me words to say that I know not. And I know that I can walk in that confidence. I know that I, that all things work together for my good. All things work together for those that love the Lord and God and called according to his purpose. I know that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You understand that when you have an ability and an understanding of his knowledge, you know who you are. There's very little that shakes you. There's very little that comes against you. You have this confidence and it changes everything. The second key thought is that when we have that confidence, when we are confident in our identity, we are also confident to point people to his. So this idea of identity, it's a big deal. 
And for some of you, you may be in this room saying, Pastor John, I know who I am. I'm, I'm 50 years old. I'm married. I have three kids. I have, and you go through the list. I'm talking about your, your station of life. I'm talking about who you are, that you are a child of the king. And it does not matter your background. It does not matter your skin color. It does not matter your circumstances. It does not matter those things that may have happened to you or through you in the past. You are a child of the king, the almighty God, the creator of the universe. He looked at you and said, it's good. He looked at you and said, that's my son. That's my daughter. You're beloved. You are precious in his sight. That's why I love these families up here holding these children, right? That is just, and as a mom and a dad looks at that child and says, wow, it's good. God does the same to you. And he's able to look past your circumstances today. You are a child of the King. Somebody say amen to that. <clears throat> amen. Struggling a little bit this morning with my voice, so I apologize for the, the, the drink here, and I'll, you guys will have grace, hopefully. So when we talk about identity, there's a few things that I want to dive into, and I said the early service that uh, we're going we're gonna to go really deep, really fast on this. Um, in prepping for this message, I, I really believe there's the, 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 the end of the story is that when we're confident in who we are, we can also be confident in sharing who God is. And if that equation breaks down, then, we, then the enemy's winning <laughs> because our goal and purpose in life is not to uh, amass the most money or uh, cars and toys and all this stuff. Our goal is to take as many people to heaven with us. Our goal is to help as many people as that we can find a relationship with Jesus. And if the enemy can, can, uh, can subvert that plan by, by convincing us or confusing us about our identity, then the end goal, he's won that as well. And we live in a day and age right now that our identity, the very core of who we are, is under attack. And so I, I've wrestled with even going into these areas because I know this portion of scripture, Paul is talking about some different things, but in preparation for this, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to say, John, go there. Like, let's, let's set foundational truth there. And so when we talk about this idea of identity, the, uh, the issues in our world today provide a lot of polarizing thought. The issues surrounding identity today provide a lot of opportunities for you to um, overanalyze what I'm about to say, for you to say, oh, that's this, this is that kind of church, whatever. I'm going to challenge you today to, 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 um, to see things with the mature eyes and say, okay, is that really what God's word says? And let's go find it in God's word and base our, our thought and our experience on what God's word says, not what a sitcom may tell us that we watch, not what the culture says is acceptable and tolerant, but what is God's word. So this identity thing, it can be polarizing. And because of that, our end goal is to make sure that we do everything we can to, to draw people to Jesus, right? Everybody say amen to that. All right, go with me. I'm trying to get your amens out of your system because I'm about to throw a little glitch in the system here in just a minute. 
Because we're dealing with an issue that's very polarizing, whatever, I'm just going to ask you to do me a favor and just hold amens, applaud, whatever. Because I know sometimes when, when in the church, when we feel like a particular issue is under attack, then we, we, we match it with that level of intensity. And let me just beg you to be confident in God's word enough that you don't have to um, be, be that... Um, uh, what could be perceived as like abrasive in the room. So we talked about this even this morning and I've had several people saying, thank you for saying that. Because quite honestly, there may be people in this room that are struggling with these very issues and are, yeah, ah! it does not say, hey, you're struggling, we wanna love you. It says, yeah, we're right, you're wrong. And I wanna be a part of a, of a movement that would say, Hey, young man, young woman, mom, dad, you're struggling with those issues. I get it. God's word says, as such were some of you. And if our end goal is reconciliation for those men and women, young boys and girls, whatever, who's struggling with these issues, then we should do all we can to make sure that road for conversation is paved and nice so that we can have those conversations when the Holy Spirit leads us into that. And so just, just, let's just listen and, and ask God to, to do what he wants to do, but let's not, um, let's not shout and applaud or whatever. Truth is truth. It doesn't need our affirmation at this point. Nine times out of 10, I love it. Like, bring it on. Keep it coming, right? But this is one that I'm just asking for a little bit of discipline in that. So let's talk about identity. Identity, we need to know who you are. Here's the first step in identity. Number one, the Bible teaches that you were made male or female, period. The Bible teaches that. That's not Pastor John's opinion. That's not what I think is, is, is best for your life. That's not what I think makes the most logical sense. That's what the Bible teaches. And for us, we have to recognize that we are living in a society that has shifted and has thrown that completely out the door. And we've said, you know what? Just what's your preference? How do you identify? What is your identity? And if the enemy can attack the very core of, of our identity, he's won the battle for us to tell others about Jesus. Because without a confidence in who we are, then we'll never get to that other point. Well, say, John, you say that, but let's, let's prove it. Genesis chapter five says this, when God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human, and he blessed them. The reason why that's so important is because we live in a day and age where we push this aside and we say, hey, let me just flow in what I feel or want, and it, it subverts the whole thing. It, it short circuits God's plan for our lives. The problem sometimes is, is that we get so passionate about that truth that we alienate people that are struggling with it. What I want to do is say, this is God's word. But you know what? God's word also says some other things that I'm struggling with, that I may not be struggling with this issue, but God's word also says you should stop gossiping. God's word also says you should bring the tithe to the storehouse. Oh, we're, we're getting, you're stepping on every toe. No, 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 I'm just saying that be careful, church, to attach one issue to the thing that you're going to be. And I'm just saying, boy, let's love people through their struggle and yet not um, compromise the truth. 
And there is beauty when you can navigate the tension of both of those realities. I, my wife has been involved in public education for a lot of years, was a school counselor, and in the last couple of years of that, that time in ministry in the public schools, all types of different, you know, the gender identity and the fluidity and all the stuff. And I get it. We, we've, we've walked this road and, and continue to walk. And I'm telling you, the best way to combat some of these things is not to be, but to say, you know what? I just know truth and, and truth prevails. Truth wins. In our identity, he created us as male and female. Do not believe the lie that our culture has tried to perpetrate onto us that you can choose. That simply is not true. If it buys into this, I wrote it this way, and I'm just going to read it so I don't miss my words. It buys into a logical fallacy that our experiences, if they are powerful enough, are able to change truth. That's flawed logic to bring our experiences and lay our experiences on the, as the lens over which we see the Bible. That changes the truth, and we don't have that luxury. The opposite should be the way, that we bring the truth of God's word and his love, and we lay that as the lens over our experiences and say, wow, my experience has been different than that, but it doesn't change that. It changes this, and it allows me to get to the point where I understand God loves me so much that he has created me the way he would like for me to be. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be incredibly empathetic and kind and loving to anybody struggling with this truth. Love, it conquers all, but not at the expense of truth. The Bible teaches you're either male or female. The second thing the Bible teaches about your identity is that the Bible teaches that you were created for covenant relationships. That was, that was birthed into you. It goes so far, um, the scripture tells us that he relates um, the way that Christ is to the church as a husband-wife type scenario, that metaphor is used. And if the world can ever um, decay or destroy that metaphor, that, that model, it breaks down so many different things. The Bible says that we were created for covenant relationships first with God, and then with a husband, if you're female, or a wife, if you are male. That's Bible. That's what the Bible teaches. What the world has said, and over time, trust me, I understand this. I've got young adult kids now. They used to were teenagers recently or whatever, but they're all, all grown up, and I'm getting old or whatever. But we've walked through this, this, this season of our culture that, that can you remember when it used to be like, a, whoa, what? There's a, there's a homosexual character on that TV show? Whoa. Like, now it's just like if there's not, there's something wrong. And I'm telling you, the enemy is smart. And he has presented an agenda that if we're not careful, we equate our, our stance of truth to be somehow disliking or hating the individual. And I'm just here to tell you, I, that's not my heart. That is not our heart as the church, but we better be careful to know that truth doesn't change even though an experience or culture 
changes. If that's the way that we see truth, then this is really flimsy and it's going to change and it's not a foundation on which I want to stand. We have to be bold enough to understand that the Bible teaches us that we were created for covenant relationships. I get it. Young man, young woman, young family that are in this church, you may have and probably do. Uh, statistics show us that we have family members that are walking through these struggles and it really is challenging for us to say, hey, that is not what scripture teaches and still love them. And I want to beg you to fight for that tension and do just that, to love them even in the middle of their struggle. I'm so glad that God loved me in my struggle. I'm so glad that he didn't look at me and say, you are so far gone beyond. No, he looked at me and he said, for you, the very person, if you were the only one here, I'd still send my son to die on a cross for you, to forgive you of your sins. And as a church, if we're not confident of that, then it short circuits our mission. It, it causes us not to be confident in proclaiming the unknown God because we don't even know who we are. We have this posture of saying, well, you know, they were born that way. No, 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 that's not what scripture teaches. In fact, if we believe that, we believe that God has set up some sort of standard that is just not possible without Jesus. Like with Jesus, it's not possible with us, right? With Jesus it is. But if we believe that God somehow creates people that are, that are out of his plan, what kind of God is that, right? It's not how God created us. Scripture teaches us differently. Paul says it to the church in Corinth. In Corinth says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But be careful before you get to soapbox on any one of these because it says some of you, some of us were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were set free. You were in that prison with Paul and Silas and you've been convinced that this is where you're supposed to be and this is just who I choose to be. And I'm here to tell you there's freedom outside the walls, that he's cleansed you. You were made holy, not because of anything I've done, but because I take upon me the citizenship of Jesus. I take upon me his righteousness, that you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This can be, it can be really difficult to navigate this. And understand this, I, know, I do know, and we don't have time to dive in. I look at the clock, I know the time. We don't have time to dive into the fullness of this. This is like a six-week series on this. But let me say this. I do know, and I'm not ignorant of the fact, that there are biological and physiological differences in how we are born and made and created. I believe that science and faith agree in these spaces that would say we have been created in the image of God, that's what scripture teaches us, and yet some people um, have, have different uh, makeup in our, our, our who we are, biologically and physiologically, and I do believe that there is in us a propensity towards, in some, a, a, a different type of sin than others. 
I have some areas in my life that, boy, that's my weakness. Like that's what, if I'm going to trip up, that's the area I have to put a big wall around. For, for me, there's an area of my life over here. I'm not going to name things because automatically you'll attach things to it. But there's some areas that the Bible calls sin. I, don't, I just don't even, that's not even an issue for me, right? Like I don't, but there's a propensity in me to certain areas. In the same way as it relates to this um, um, identity and, and sexual preference type conversation, biology tells us that there are some people that, that there's these anomalies in the way we are made up that, that man, there is is a propensity towards. That does not say that, that God has created that person as someone that would not meet up to the standard that was like, well, you were created a, a, a drunkard. You were created a sinner. You were cre- Obviously, we all have that flesh in us, but we were not born that way. I have heard, I have heard so many times, even in, in leadership circles in the church, say, well, they're just born gay. no, no. You were born as a male and female. You were born for covenant relationships. You were born not with, there are some some things that you struggle with, yes, but I struggle with things too. My flesh wants to to satisfy the the desires of the flesh. And yet me, and, and we, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we say, God, forgive us of those sins, those behaviors, and help your righteousness cover those things. That's the difference in that we say, you know what? I, I understand that there are behaviors that are not pleasing to God, but they do not equal identity. And the world has messed that whole equation up as it relates to these, these issues here. We'll say that's just who they are. And if the, the enemy can get you to question or have an incorrect view of your identity, your purpose is just gone. Paul said it this way. He said, no, this is who I am. And as such, I can proclaim who God is. And if we get this mixed up, then, then our, our purpose on this, this, this earth really gets short-circuited a little bit. Culture has convinced an entire generation that we're a part of right now that identity and sexuality is a preference, not a truth of creation by a loving God. And I'm here to try to convince you, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, to navigate the tension that this causes you, you, you can either get angry and and whatever, or you can say, wow, here's some men and women and, and, and my friends, and here's family members that are struggling with this. And we can present truth in a loving way. And we can know that God has called us to be in this season of time, in this, this culture for a reason. And I just believe that it's because God's calling us as a church to be ones that would proclaim truth. And, and live in the tension of what that truth also points out in not just other lives, but in our life as well. Charles Spurgeon, some of you know that name. He's an incredible man of God. He said it this way. He said, if a crooked stick is before you, you need not explain how crooked it is. Just lay a straight one down by the side of it and the work is well done. Preach the truth. And error, error will stand abashed or ashamed in its presence. There's so many times that I think that we in the church, we focus all of our attention on proclaiming how crooked that stick is. 
And I just want to submit to you possibly another, another way is for us to be so confident in who we are in Christ that, that the truth of God's word would so permeate who we are that people wouldn't even really have to question how we feel because we just, we just know, are you kidding me? You're going to kick me out of this jail right now when you beat me, whatever. I'm a Roman citizen. There's rights and privileges attached to that. Are you kidding me? You're going to ask me to just set us No, I'm a child of the living King. And because of that, I believe his word is true and it has an impact on my life. So who are you? You're created from as male and female. You're created for covenant relationships. And it's not just about those things that we can say, oh, those are the things that we shouldn't be about. But then he lands on this. Number three in this is that the Bible teaches that you are a child of the king. And I know you've been holding back on applause and amens and all this. So let me just say it again in my best preacher voice. Here we go. The Bible teaches that you are a child of the king. And somebody said amen in this place that you are a child of the king. And the reason why I do that is because sometimes I think that we can just land on these things that, oh, let's fight against or let's push against. Well, the reason why those things are so powerful is because you're a child of the king. Don't settle for things that are less than that. There is right, there are rights and privileges attached to your citizenship, your identity when you follow Jesus that allow you to step above the fray and say, you know what? I don't have to worry about that because Paul said it to the church because we are his children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. This Jesus, we'll talk about the resurrection next week and we talk about it every Sunday, right? That the reason why you have confidence because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in me and in you. And I have confidence. I say, oh no, you're not gonna kick me out. I'm a Roman citizen, right? That Paul said, oh no, 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 no. I, I live differently because I am sure of who I am. I am. And it prompts us to call out, Abba, Father. It's like, Daddy. I love these, the child dedication. I wish I could just catch some of those pictures. And I love just the innocence of these kiddos just asleep in mom's and dad's arms. And in the same way, we can do the same thing. Because now we're no longer a slave, but God's own child. Who are you? I'm a child of the king. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. Woo, boy, you could really teach that, right? Just the whole, what, what does God have? What are the resources that God has? I like to say it this way. I say it in slang, everything, everything. You just kind of say it, you just have to say everything right there. So what are you heir of? Everything. God is saying, don't settle for temporary things. I've got everything for you. I've got everything in store for you. Just wait. You're my child. You're my heir. I love these verses that talk about this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And we believers, we also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, it's a foretaste of future glory, right? For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Remember I talked about the fact that we do have propensities towards things. Boy, I wish we weren't born Adam and Eve. Boy, you messed it up. But if they wouldn't have, somebody else would have along the road. Probably would have been me, right? We would have messed it up somewhere down the road. But we live in the flesh. And for now, we have to deal with this sin and suffering. It says, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights 
as his adopted children. I love the story of adoption in this, in this room and in this family. So many of you have those stories in your families, as do we. And there's something significant about that child being taken into a family that biologically does not connect, but it's a mom and a dad that says, I choose you. And God's saying to you today, I don't care what the world has told you that you are. I created you as a son of God. I created you as a daughter of the living King and you are mine. If you'll understand that all the junk that the world is feeding you based upon your upbringing and lack of this or overabundance of that or the, the victim mentality, I am so sorry that you've walked through that, but it doesn't change truth. You are a child of the living King. Hallelujah. Church, I'm so, I'm so passionate about what God wants to do in our lives, and it, it, it forces us to confront the tension of truth. And I understand the, the conflict that I may be even caught, not me, but this word causes you even in your lunch today, to which I would say, dive into his word, figure out who you are in Jesus. And I promise you, his Holy Spirit will navigate the conversations like you never thought were possible. When you love people, when you experience who you are first, God gives you the confidence in your known identity to proclaim his unknown identity into spaces that is truly, truly powerful. The truth of it is, is that this, it's the more personal it becomes to us, the easier it is for us to share. Be confident of who you are in him so that you can show others who he is through you. Why don't you bow your heads with me today as we close? I'm going to ask the team to come help me today. Father, I pray right now. God, I pray that your word would go to places that my words can't. And your word is, is living and active. And Father, I, God, I'm not quite sure that I adequately communicated the truth of your word today, but God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would make up the difference and just take it to places that, that needs to be. And Father, I pray for the men and women that are in this room that God may be struggling with areas of identity and who they are. God, it has really little to do with with, with age or, or anything, God, it, it's a common struggle that our culture uh, has highlighted and we're living in. And so, Father, I pray for the men and women that are in this room that, that have dealt with those very issues, that are concerned and questioning who they are and, and their, their, their sexual identity or their, their preferences, and they've, they've bought into this lie of the enemy that says, well, you have those feelings, so just embrace it and go there. God, that's so contrary to what your word says, and, it, and yet it seems so easy. But God, the wages of that lead to an eternity that, that don't involve you. And God, that's, that's got to be compelling for us. That's got to be a, 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 a posture that would cause us to love people greater and not fight. So, Father, I pray that you would allow this church to be one that we would, we would be founded on truth. We would never back down from truth, but we love people in the tension of what that truth provides in their lives. And, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the reality of that truth. In Jesus' name, I ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. 
And in just a moment, we're going to have the prayer team come and we're going to just pray together. And quite honestly, I know when you deal with issues like that, some people say, boy, I'm not going down for prayer because somebody will think I'm struggling with, fill in the blank, whatever. Let's just, let's, let's grow beyond that and just realize that we all <laughs> could have highlighted any one of those, those areas of the flesh at work in our lives. We were all sinners and that Christ died for us, all of us. And so I just, I want to ask you a question today. Everybody's heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. And, and if you're here today and you said, you know what, there's, there's something that's drawing my heart to a, a position of decision that you would say, there are things in my life right now that I, I don't even know how to describe them, but I just, they're, they're, they're keeping me from a relationship with God. The Bible calls that sin. And sometimes I think we shy away from that word, but it just is what it is that, that we know there are things in our lives that are against what God's word says for us to do. And you would say, you know what? I would love to receive that forgiveness through Jesus today. Um, and it's just an incredible free gift that God offers. And yes, there is a propensity towards in all of our lives towards sin because we're all part of the flesh. But when we accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers for us from the sacrifice that he paid, that scripture is true, that the same spirit is in us. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor John, I'd love to just invite you to conclude me in the closing prayer to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Would you do me the honor of just letting me recognize you and everybody's heads are bowed and eyes closed. Would you raise your hand right now in this room and just let me see that hand and we're gonna pray together. If there are any in the room today, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I see that hand in the back, thank you. Three, anybody else? Pastor John, would you just include me in this prayer? It's the biggest and greatest decision you can ever make to be sure of your identity. And quite honestly, some of you may be at that point of decision because you're, you're confused. And I get it, I understand. No condemnation in that at all. There's a reality of where you're at. Anybody else, I'm gonna give just a few moments. If you're online, there's a, a way that you can connect there with the online campus pastor, either a link or you can jump in the chat and just say, hey, pray for me. I wanna make a decision to follow Jesus today and we'd love to pray together with you. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with me all over this room? And as you're standing, I'm going to ask the prayer team workers to come forward and those at the back. My wife's going to come and conclude us in prayer here in just a minute. And, and Pastor Kim, I'm going to ask you just to lead us in a prayer. There's three hands that were, were raised that we would all be led in a prayer just to, to ask Jesus to come into our heart. I know there's many moving around. Please, please stay with me as being dis- not, don't be distracted. They're moving into their areas of prayer. I asked them to do that. And so we've got people in the back under these pray banners and, and my right and left and then some at the front. And we're gonna pray together. And Calvary, I want you to understand that these issues don't just automatically be, just become easy because we admit them. It's a journey. And you have men and women and that are here and that are represented in these places that, that we're just saying, hey, been there, we understand it, and we would just be honored to walk this out with you. So if you raised your hand a minute ago to ask Jesus into your heart, that's, this, that's the first step. It's great. And, and I'm so proud and, and so appreciative that God still, his grace is still big. And so we would love to pray together with you. Pastor Kim, would you come and, and conclude us here today? Yeah, there are three or four that raised their hands today. So would everybody in here just bow your heads and repeat this with me? Um, no, 
nothing special about the words, but just the attitude and posture of the heart. And we just want to guide in that today. Our Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I'm humbled to realize how much you love me. I'm grateful that you're willing to accept me just the way that I am. I understand that I need you and that my life is incomplete without you. So I confess my need. I confess my desire to walk with you, to know you, and to grow in you. Please forgive me of my sins and accept me as I am that I may grow in knowing you better. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Family, would you applaud and celebrate those that gave their hearts to the Lord today? How amazing is that, that we get to be a part of somebody's journey as they begin and that God allows us to walk alongside. If that was you, if you raised your hand today, I would encourage you to meet with a prayer partner before you leave today. There are prayer partners in the back of the room under the prayer banners, and then there are prayer partners here in the front. And I know that somebody would love to pray with you and um, get you started on your first steps. And speaking of first steps, we do have a class called First Steps. And if you would fill out a Connect card, either just grab one there in front of you or when you meet with a prayer partner, if you would hand them a connect card, we can get you more information about how to get started on your journey and get started well in that space. Now, would you um, just pray with me as we go from this place today? Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we know that your word is truth and we stand on that truth. And we just ask that you would Remind us of the truth as we go throughout this week. God, that you would remind us of the truth, but also of the love that you've asked us to share as we share truth. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you strength as you share love and truth throughout the triad. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just to remind you, these prayer partners are here to pray with you about anything. If you have needs, if you have physical needs, you have relational needs, come and meet with somebody. They would love to lift your need to the Lord.